and welcome to the Middlemen podcast, taking you ringside, pitch side and sharing a unique journalistic perspective on sport. I'm Noah Abrahams. And I'm Max Taylor. This week's guest is not an elite level athlete, but he has spent countless years with them as a journalist. As someone who's been established before the 21st century, veteran sports journalist Noel Hickman offered us his unique perspective on the latest goings on in both boxing and football. Noel, thank you for joining us on our podcast. Uh, let's start with paper. Very well. A topic you know a lot about and have worked closely with. And this week, the word is that in order to watch Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury in the UK, it will cost fight fans £40 per per ticket. So pay-per-view, it's going to be £40 each. Now, personally, yeah. gentlemen, I don't like the fact that during a pandemic, we have to accommodate at the expense of the average working day fan because Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury are demanding £100 million each. Now, what's your view on the way Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury is being sold to UK fight fans? Well, I mean, pay-per-view's been around now for three decades, and uh, so it's not new. It's uh, a device used by boxing promoters, in particular boxing, more than any other sport, because it raises huge financial dividends for relatively small numbers. Um, I mean, for instance, uh, if you've got, uh, I mean, the maths are dead simple, and if you've got a million people paying 50 bucks a head in the States, well, you do the maths, it's dead simple, isn't it? Um, I did the second ever pay-per-view fight on Sky, I produced it, um, uh, I didn't produce the actual fight, but I produced all the, um, all the um, outlying interviews and what have you, and that was Tyson Holyfield back in 96, Um and it was supposed to be just for elite events, such as world heavyweight title fights, etc., etc. It didn't end up being that at all. Um, it ended up being pay-per-view for virtually everything to do in boxing. I mean, it's a difficult one. A, they've got to make the money somehow. Uh, B, they're only going to the to to uh, the Arab countries for one reason, and that's they're paying for it. Uh, C, yes, you're right. The lack of actual uh, People being in attendance uh, here is a limitation because otherwise they would have charged an average of £150 a head at a full Wembley stadium. So that's a money stream that's gone. Um, But in in essence, pay-per-view is very controversial because um, as as both of you will know, being boxing fans, uh, boxing used to be watched by vast audiences and now it isn't. And a lot of that's to do with pay-per-view because a lot of people will look at it and go, I'm not paying that for that fight. I think this is slightly different. I think a lot of people will pay big money for this fight. It's not I don't the same. If you... it's, it's just because it's not the same, though, because usually if you pay 40 quid for a fight, I could yep. go around to Max's and all of our course mates could join and it wouldn't cost. Yes. It would only cost three quid each. But because you yep. can't do that in the COVID environment, maybe you can share it with one other person. It's still going to cost you around 20 quid each. So it's a lot of money. Well, if you think later on this year that people won't share the cost, then, uh, yeah, OK. I can't see that happening, no. Um, but, look, it's, it's a divisive thing in boxing because it's cut the numbers down of people who are watching boxing all the time. Um, by a fraction. I mean, I can only give you the example of what I know, and that is what I, when I moved over to the States. Boxing in America used to be one of the, the biggest sports. In fact, you could argue the most famous sportsman ever was a boxer. Um, and it was watched by 
literally tens of millions. It was on the bars of every uh, pub in New York City, in Philadelphia, Washington, Chicago, everywhere. Boxers were household names. Now they're not. Because it's become a niche sport. And the reason for that is pay-per-view. Because it can generate huge revenues on very, very small numbers. And that's the problem. That's the problem with it. And before, I know Max is going to talk more about the fight itself, AJ Fury. Yeah. Before that, just with the pay-per-view, do you think now boxing is still a working man sport? Because we've had the conversation with football and with season tickets and the amount of money it costs to go regularly yeah. to Premier League football. Do you think it's the same in boxing? Do you think it's less of a working man sport than when you first started out in the industry? Well, it's a working class sport in the participants, definitely. I mean, boxers are not the sons and daughters of lawyers and doctors. Um, and brain surgeons, as far as I've seen, I've only interviewed a couple of boxers who you would classify as brackets middle class. Um, Chris Eubank, but his dad was very wealthy. Uh, Ali, funnily enough, who we mentioned earlier on, was actually middle class kid. Um, uh, or, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard was was quite a. Uh, his father was quite a, a professional man, but the sport itself is rooted in working class still, yeah. The supporters, that's a different ball game. You go to a boxing show and the first ten rows are full of um, the corporate speaks. Um, you know, you go to a big fight nowadays and the corporates expect to be looked after. They've got a VIP room, they're doling out the prawn sandwiches, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that has happened amongst the actual people going to boxing. Um, but if you go to small hall shows... Your call, where Max is from, some parts of Newport and Cardiff, that's still rooted very, very much in the working class. It really is. It is a. It is much more than football. Still a working class preserve. Although you go to some big fights and you you wouldn't know it. I went to one fight, Japs, and Madonna was sitting behind me. <laughs> so um, did you say hello? No, she she asked me out on a date, but I obviously turned it down at the time. Which was, you know, you know, after Kylie Noah, I mean, she's got no chance. No, um, so, uh, yeah, it was a difficult one, really. But um, yeah, the sport hasn't lost its working class roots because, as I say, kids who box these days are, are, are uh, and I don't mean this in a nasty way, but they are very much sort of working class street kids, much more than, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you don't get boxes from um, uh, from posh public schools. It just doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Anyway, uh, so I don't think it's lost its roots, but um, the people going to boxing has definitely changed, yeah. I would have to uh, quickly weigh in on that and say during, obviously, the short-lived amateur career I had, there wasn't any gracious part of uh, any boxing or social club that I went to to fight. It was always no. changing rooms, toilets, uh, you know, there's nothing classy about it. No. I, I you know, that kind of seconds Niall's point there that it still is very rooted uh, from working class, you know, humble oh, no, beginnings. No. Uh, Max, I've been to some um, dressing rooms that you'd call that are just <laughs> literally, you know, crap holes. I mean, I went the other day to Brendan Ingalls' gym in Sheffield. I mean, the place is world famous for producing a conveyor belt of, of boxes. If you showed that to a football club, Leicester City have just forked out £100 million on their training ground, which includes a golf course. You know, I wish some of that money would trickle down into the grassroots of boxing. 
It's not quite uh, the Lions, Dennis Sheffield, is it, Max? And uh, I know Max feels similar to me on on AJ Fury that it, it could go either way. It could be 50-50. Yep. Um, what's your opinion on it, Niall? And who wins? Oh, well, that's a damn fine question, Noah. And I, I think you, and on any day of the week, I'd probably choose a different one. I, 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 if I had a free £5 bet, because I'm not a betting man, uh, I would probably go with Tyson Fury, probably. Uh, on another day, I might change my mind, but only because uh, Tyson's always found a way so far uh, to win, other than the solitary draw that he had. Um, AJ hasn't. Um, Joshua hasn't found a way to win every time. Having said all that, I, you know, this is heavyweight boxing. One guy slots another one with 18 stone behind him, they're going to go down. Tyson Fury, having said that, has gone down many, many times in his career. And has always got up, uh, which is remarkable, really. Bear in mind, I, I saw his, I saw all of his early fights, apart from his very first. I went to see Tyson Fury in his second ever fight in Wigan, um, which was a place a bit like where Max boxed, used to box. <laughs> it wasn't the finest. Um, and in his fourth or fifth fight, he got knocked over by some by a bloke in Manchester who was basically a pub bouncer. Now, I went over to Ireland and he got knocked down in, at the King's Hall, the famous King's Hall, by a chap who really was pretty hopeless. Um, but he got up again. Uh, in his seventh or eighth fight, he fought John McDermott for the English title. John McDermott looked like the Michelin man and beat him. Uh, he, he actually lost on points and Tyson easily won the rematch. But the point I'm making is that Fury so far has always found a way and Joshua hasn't. Now... Having said that, if I had a free £5 bet, I'd probably keep it, because that is just purely a guess. I think either of them could beat the other, um, and if they met each other ten times, it would probably be five all. Well, yeah, Niall, of course, you know, speaking about Tyson Fury, and he's almost a spearhead for the company, the management team, uh, MTK, and there's been a lot of rumours, a lot of speculation around a company like that who have had uh, such a past, almost turbulent history, once being MGM, um, with obviously the infamous Daniel Kinahan, and kind of, there's been that documentary that you recommended to us, what do you make of all that, and is it any surprise for you being in boxing for so long, you must have seen all sorts of corruption, is it any different this? Um, Well, yes, it's different in the sense that this is a major... um, uh, illegal operation involved in boxing. Uh, I've known about it for years, obviously. Um, it, does it come as a surprise? No, not particularly. Uh, boxing has always sailed very close to wind. I mean, our predominant promoter for most of my life was a chap called Don King. Uh, <laughs> well, you couldn't get more corrupt than Don King. Uh, the late, great Jack Newfield wrote the book on, the definitive book on Don King called The Life and Crimes of Don King, which I think I've recommended to you too. Um, That says it all, doesn't it? So boxing has always sailed very, very close to uh, the wind in many, many ways. Um, I mean, the mob influenced boxing a lot in the 50s and 60s especially. Um, Does it surprise me? Not particularly. Is there anything boxing can do about it? Don't know. I mean, uh, it hasn't got a sole statutory body. Uh, so much as the BBBC, British Boxing Board of Control, would very much like to do something about it, whether or not they can is is highly debatable. Um, so far, they can't. I mean, they can only affect what they can affect. And at the moment, they can check a boxer's gloves going in the ring and they can do this and that. 
Um, but can they solve this sort of problem with the sport? Not at the moment, they can't. Uh, they haven't got the powers to do so. Um, it's, 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 it's obviously a concern because boxing is a, is a wonderful sport and, um, and uh, I wish it was cleaner than clean. It never has been when I've been involved in boxing and I don't suppose it ever will be when I'm not involved. So nothing has particularly changed, but the personnel definitely have, yeah. I mean, obviously the uh, the main guy at the forefront of this is Daniel Kinahan. Do you think, obviously there's been news that he is like not being involved in boxing as much. That was when MTK was first kind of born, that he was stepping away from it. But there's still involvement. You know, Tyson Fury still speaks almost candidly about him. Do you think he deserves a pass and deserves to be fully accepted now and uh, deserves to be in this public eye given the pass that he's had? Well, I think it's difficult. A, as his lawyers pointed out, he's never been um, uh, found guilty of any crimes, uh, despite what the police in Ireland tell us. Uh, B, it's a difficult one, isn't it, Max? Because if I decided I wanted to write a book and I rang up Noah and said, Noah, could you give me advice on writing a book? And Noah went, well, what you've got to do, Noah, is you've got to spell it right and you've got to do your research and all that. What is stopping me speaking to Noah or anybody else about my, uh, about my chosen profession? The point I'm making is that Kinan is supposed to act as his advisor. If you want an advisor from anywhere, you can choose whoever you want, can't you? Um, yeah. Whether or not they've got a criminal record or not. So it's a very, very difficult area, isn't it? He's clearly a very intelligent man. Well, obviously, yeah, that, that probably goes without saying. But the point I'm making is that whereas if he had an official role as an agent or you know something official, it would be easier probably to do something about it. But it isn't. Because Tyson Fury can probably, I presume, Tyson Fury talks to lots of people about uh, the way his career's going, and I'm sure Anthony Joshua does. Um, so, how do you stop that? Um, just as football managers will discuss football with, I'm sure Josie Marino probably discusses it with his, with his great uncle back in Lisbon. You know, it is very, very difficult to stop people seeking advice from other people, isn't it, by its nature? It's a side of the sport that a lot of people uh, don't particularly enjoy talking about and some get a bit upset about it and uh, it reminds me a bit of VAR in football. People don't like talking about mm. it. People get very upset about it. So let's, let's move from ringside to pitch side and I'm sure oh. I'm sure all of the West Ham fans listening will agree with me completely uh, when I highlight Thomas Suchek's red card accident- when he accidentally raised his arm to Fulham's Alexandra Mitrovic last week and the decision caused outrage and a lot of pretty vile criticism towards Mike Dean but that's something else on VAR Niall what's your opinion of it how do they better it or do they scrap it completely what's your view on it well uh, my view is very very pretty simple really it was bought in by TV companies who effectively bankroll football and TV companies wanted more involvement in the game to make them more important and um and that's why it was brought in. Do I see a drastic improvement in decision-making? Categorically not. Um, I think there is areas that TV should be involved and can be involved in football. Where you have line decisions, I haven't got much of a problem with it, just as you find in cricket, whereas I'm not massively for it in cricket in some instances, but in cricket there are lines involved, and in football um, there are lines involved, obviously with offside decisions, and with goal line technology. 
Where I disagree with it fundamentally is in penalty decisions and sendings off and what have you. And I think what the, the best judge of a penalty, in my opinion, is a man standing six or seven yards away, seeing a game in 3D and in the right and in the speed that it's at on the pitch. Because I think what TV does, when you, especially when you slow it down, Noah and Max, is it it creates every single time you go anywhere near anybody else and they fall over after you've touched them. It's a penalty, which is unrealistic, isn't it? Um, so what players have now worked out is the minute that they get into the box and see an opponent do anything, they will effectively, if they've got even remotely touched, they fall over. So players have taken advantage of VAR Matt, and, and what it's done is as well is it's made referees go, oh my god, uh, it's taken all the authority away from the referee, which is also nuts because referees are there, are the best people to see an incident. And my final point would be this I could show you a penalty incident oh, 10 times. You and I could violently disagree. Well, we wouldn't violently disagree, Noah, but we would disagree. Yes. Uh, Max would violently disagree because he's a violent type. He's a boxer. He's a boxer. That's fake news. That's fake news. The point is, we would disagree. You know, one person stonewall penalty is another one is another. You know, falling over in a box. The best person penalty decisions is the referee, and leave it to the referee to see it in real time. He will get some wrong. He will get some wrong, and he'll get the vast majority right. But at the moment, all VAR is doing is clouding the waters completely taking all the authority away from referees, whereas they should be the people in charge, other than line decisions. I think offside is a potential line. There is a blurred area there as well. Goal line technology is a line. Although, even with goal line technology, we've got it wrong at Baston Villa last season, didn't we? They stayed up Um, because of it. Stayed up because of it. Uh, Yeah, they did. Um, So, you know, you've got to accept that there's going to be mistakes made on a pitch but what we've done at the moment is all the authority has been taken away from referees and they are so scared to make any decision at all they do everything via VAR and as we've seen VAR gets it wrong as well Um, so it's all a complete mishmash and what it is doing ultimately is taking the enjoyment out of what is essentially a very simple game and making it complicated which I think is tragic because Football became the world game because it's dead easy. It's two coats and a ball, isn't it? That's why it became the world game. And instead, nowadays, it's it's complicating what is a very, very simple sport, which is a shame. Well, now VAR has been introduced, I can't picture uh, a Premier League, at least football match, to ever go ahead without uh, the use of VAR. So we kind of almost have to make do with what a lot of people see as the worst right now. So now... My question to you is, do you think there's any way to kind of combat or there'll be any way for VAR to change around the inconsistency that has been facing heavily this season? Because it seems like you see one match uh, and a decision's been given and then the next week it's almost been the exact same situation but a different decision. So do you think there's any way around that going into the future of VAR? No, I don't because I think some, some things on a football pitch are entirely subjective. That's the problem with it. One person's penalty is another person's not not a, not a foul, uh, and it's his opinion. But as I say, uh, the TV doesn't help with that. You see, it, you don't see it in three D. 
I mean, we had the instance earlier this season involving my club of a ball got, got crossed from the right-hand corner by a Leicester player, slammed into Max Kilman's arm from three and a half yards away, and the referee trots over and watches it once in slow motion. Well, that's crazy. I mean, football is not played in slow motion, is it? Um, it's played in real time, and you have to allow the referees to use their common sense, and I think it's taking that away. Whether or not it ever gets any better or not, I doubt it. I think it'll get worse before it gets better myself because I think there is so much confusion now over what is what and what is this and they're fanning around with the rules of the game. We had the, the handball rule got changed and it's been changed again, hasn't it? Um, I mean, I, I just think the whole thing is a bit of a mess and um, it's taking away, as I say, what is a, essentially a very simple sport. Um, and it's no longer simple. Every time anything happens now, um, you get that, and it's taking a lot of the enjoyment out of football. It really is. I think it's it's certainly sport my enjoyment of watching football. I don't know about you two, younger yeah. lads. No, I think it definitely is mine. I, I hear a lot of people saying, I don't know about you, Max, that it's not the game they fell in love with when they first started watching yeah. football. It, it is very different. Um, I think it's like you mentioned, Nile, got a lot to do with common sense, and I think if they used if they use their head a little bit more, it, it could be a lot easier. Um, yeah. I, I think there could, I don't know about you, Max, there could be a way that uh, they could implement in football like they do in tennis or rugby, where either, one, you can hear the referees, and that will add pressure onto them to get decisions right. Yeah. Or yeah. there are challenges. A manager can challenge a decision, like in tennis. I mean, Max, what's your view on it? I mean... It's, it's a tough one. I think there has to be some element of acceptance going into the world that we're in now with the changing and developing technology. There is definitely going to be things like this put in place to try and better the game. Obviously, it's backfired massively these last couple of seasons. I think with as far as a manager goes to challenge a... A decision. I'm not sure about that because there are very, you know, managers are naturally opinionated people, very headstrong people. So I think we see a lot of uh, added injury time nowadays because of VAR decisions. We're going to see even more if uh, play has to be halted because a manager is trying to challenge for a decision. Mm. So I don't know if that's the the best way to go about it, but it's definitely changing the whole landscape of football. And no, I'm thinking the way you said earlier that you think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm. In, in that case, do you think that, you know, we've seen clubs like uh, Cardiff were affected with it when they're in the Premier League. They went down from it. There, there was a statistic that said they would have survived and yeah. stayed up if it wasn't for VAR. Do you think yeah, yeah, that's going to sure. happen more often than if uh, VAR is going to get worse before it gets better? I, I don't think it's going to change. I mean, my team would have been enjoying Champions League football now if it hadn't been for VAR. Um, Bristol yeah, City I, would still be in the FA Cup. But they'd still be in the FA Cup. Look, I just think, I think the uh, I think the authority of a referee in a game is paramount. And once you start chipping away at that, the whole thing you might as well do the you might as well get rid of a referee and put an ice cream van in the middle of the pitch. Um, you know, there's no point in having a ref there any longer. Um, and I think they've got that entirely wrong. I think with line decisions, as I say, there is a finite line there. Um, with anything else, I think you've got to rely on the eyes and ears of the person there at the time. That's it. Uh, granted, guys, six yards offside, that is that is 
mind you, this season we've even had that, haven't we? Um, uh, some daft rule about a bloke standing on a different time zone wasn't even offside. Um, the rule makers, I don't think, know enough about the game. But what what it is doing at the moment is it is making referees obsolete. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think the referees should be in charge of big decisions on the pitch. Granted, they will get some wrong. But that's got to be better than going to a VAR machine that doesn't give you incidents at full speed in 3D and from a very close angle. Uh, that's my two. That's my problems with it at the moment. And I think, yes, it will get worse, Max. And I think there will be... Cardiff fans must be furious. Bristol fans must be furious. I know Wolves fans are seething because... You know, it is taking a lot of enjoyment out of the game. Not a, no doubt about that. Well, just with the uh, just one more, not necessarily around VAR, but as you said, it has that effect on the referees as well. One referee uh, who actually, as Noah gave the example of the Suchek red card that yeah. sent Suchek off was Mike Dean. Now he's come out and said that he won't be refereeing any games on the weekend because of the amount of abuse that he's had online over. It wasn't just one, but two uh, with Jan Bednarek as well, the sending off of him. Uh, so he's got a lot of backlash on that. And now, what's your standpoint on? Uh, referees being targeted and, and um, yeah. you know being kind of almost hated upon well yeah they are being hated upon by uh, fans and by different fan bases and do you think that can run in, in the modern day football? Uh, no uh, I, 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 two things I mean refs were always not exactly super popular but it used to be just at the ground they didn't used to have to put up with this sort of pathetic nonsense um, what I don't understand with social media is if i if I went up to you or Noah in the street and started verbally abusing you or punched you in the face, the full arm of the law is available to deal with me. Mm. Yeah. What is the difference between that and somebody writing the vile nonsense that they are writing online? Why is it not possible for social media to say, well, it was this person living on this address who did this? You've all got to be registered when you're social media with anything. I think there's got to be I think there's got to be controls tightened on social media because it just allows any old loony to write whatever he wants. Now, you guys have grown up in an era of it, and it is it is a democratising thing, social media, and it allows you all to sort of allow your opinions to anybody. But you've got to have opinions which... I mean, if you're threatening referees and calling Mar- uh, Marcus Rashford names... You've got to use the law to break to come down on it, haven't you? Well, that's just that's just nonsense, that is. We don't really have this unique viewpoint that you've got now because we have grown up with social media. Yeah. But do, yeah. as someone who, who has spent, I suppose, most of your life now without social media, yeah. would you, if you could, just get rid of it and go back to how it was before, or do you, or do you think it's do you think social media no. makes football better? No, I wouldn't do that. But what I'd say is when you register for anything, I think the registrations have got to be stronger. I really do. I mean, I'm not against, I'm not remotely against democratic thought. You know, we don't live in North Korea, do we? Uh, we're allowed to have freedom of thought. I've got no problem with that. But freedom of thought when you abuse somebody like a referee. I mean, I think Mike Dean is a particularly poor referee. And I've done no problem telling him that. But I'm not going to start threatening him or calling him names or anything like that. I just don't think he's particularly good at what he does. Um, I think there are other refs who are quite good. Um, but I think whenever you register for anything, surely if you send something to somebody, then the authorities should be able to. Now, that may be a, 
and substantial. That may not be possible because the amount of abuse going on. I mean, the police are already stretched anyway. Are they going to go knocking on people's doors every five minutes for abusing match referees? But I think, I think there has to be something done. You can't allow it to carry on, can you? And especially the racist stuff that we've had lately. I mean, that's just. I mean, that just should not be allowed, should it? Uh, if you're Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, you can't allow that. That's not democracy. That's just allowing morons to have an opinion, isn't it? Um, well, you know, why should they be allowed that opinion? If, as I say, if they went up, if they went up to you, Noah, or you, Max, in the street and started saying something about your Welshness or the fact you're a Londoner, uh, Noah, you know, um, you, you, you could rightly say, well, I'm going to take you to the law, couldn't you? Well, why not with social media? I don't get it. The TV wasn't working over the weekend, so I watched The Six Nations. And yep. I was, I'm not really a rugby fan, but I was shocked no. that the amount of respect referees get in rugby compared to football, and that uh, that shocked me, because especially when there aren't fans in ground, you can hear it when you're there, and it did shock me the respect that rugby players give to referees in comparison to footballers. Always been the same way, even when I was growing up, I played rugby when I was a kid, uh, not very well I might add, um, and Max would have played it, wouldn't you, in the, in the valleys of Wales. Uh, oh, I um, wish I played it well, yeah. And um, uh, yeah, respect for the referee is just ingrained in the sport. Um, many years ago, in 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 the in the English league, they introduced a rule which was if you abuse the ref, um, the free kick was sent back ten yards nearer to your goal, and they got rid of it. And I don't know why. It seems ludicrous to me. Why should referees on a pitch be surrounded by players doing that and giving them verbal abuse? It's just for. As long as I can remember, it's been one of those things that I've thought, you could stop that like that if you wanted to. You go up to a referee in rugby and say, uh, excuse me, ref, I think you're a bleeding uh, idiot. You're off the park. Yes, you know, you're right. gone. And your team gets um, punished for it as well. Um, you, you can say virtually anything to a referee these days. Um, and not only that, it's the way players surround referees in football. It's the way they, they, they clearly uh, cheat by throwing themselves to the ground. The whole thing makes refereeing a football match very, very difficult. Um, I, don't get, I don't get why rugby is so different. Uh, to, to, and cricket's the same, and lots of other sports, you know, the respect for the ref is kind of, you know, part of the DNA of the sport. It seems the total opposite in football, whereby, you know, abusing the ref seems to be part and parcel of the game. Don't understand it. Never understood it. They bought that law in many, many years ago and took it away. And I've never understood why they did. Well, it's, it's, you said that uh, referees in in rugby, it's just been ingrained in the sport that they're respecting that football can do to try and get mirror that respect that referees get in rugby and try and there be a moment in, in football in history where we can... Put, pinpoint a moment that referees started getting more respect. Well, a, I think they should say to players, uh, anybody who goes up to the referee other than the skipper and starts doing that um, gets a yellow card straight away. Yeah. You do it again, you're red. Uh, B, if you ask, if you even ask the referee a question, unless you're the captain, um, straight away that free kick goes ten yards nearer your goal. You, it would stop within weeks, but they don't do it, and I don't know why. Um, it seems so blindingly obvious to me. Instead, they fanny around with the handball rule to the extent whereby the only people who can actually play football are people with no arms. Um, <laughs> it's just, it just seems crazy to me. It really does. It could be done very, very simply, and they've never done it. I don't know why. 
Well, we'll conclude on that note. Niall, thank you so much for joining Max and I on the third episode, and you've been brilliant. Thank you very much, chaps.